Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. Well, good morning again, everyone. The room just changed all of a sudden, didn't it? That's so fun. Thanks for participating with us in that. Uh, We love when we can have all ages worshiping together on uh, particular weekends. This weekend, we're concluding the series that we've been in all summer of seeing Jesus in unseen places. And over this last couple of months, each weekend, we've taken a different character uh, from the scriptures where maybe Jesus isn't named in the story, but we've learned how to see Jesus in that place, in that story, and then also in our own lives. Over the summer, we've walked into the stories of these various people and looked for how Jesus was showing up in like in our video said, in those incognito, in those hidden ways, and yet absolutely present. And as I was thinking about it this week, every story we've encountered as we come to the end of this series, every character we've learned about was really walking a journey of faith. And as we conclude our summer series, I want to talk specifically about what happens in us when we sense God calling us as individuals and as a community to take a step of faith and address the fear that tries to hold us back. You see, God loves us so much that pretty regularly he intentionally invites us to the kinds of adventures that are beyond our human capacity to handle, to manage on our own. He invites us to trust him and discover that our greatest seasons of growth are linked to the decision to follow him without reservation, to follow him into fullness of life by faith in our relationships, our vocations, our occupations, our learning, and in every decision that we're faced with. It's what we see in a passage of scripture in Hebrews chapter 11. Now the letter of Hebrews was in fact a letter and it was written with a purpose behind it. It was written to a group of Christians who were in danger of drifting away into spiritual apathy and risking falling away from Jesus. A lot was happening in the context of their lives and the pressures to follow Jesus were tremendous to the point that many thought that following Jesus really wasn't paying off the way that they thought it would. And so people start to drift away. They were losing heart. And some were thinking about dropping out of the race that God had called them to run. They were discouraged in their spiritual journey and needed to be inspired again by the truth and story of Jesus. With this in mind, the writer, and we're not sure who wrote Hebrews, with a deep passion and conviction calls these followers of Jesus to recapture the essence of faith and to keep company with those who have gone before us in the faith as examples of what it means to live life in God. Like those early Christians, friends, I think we need this too. Because we're so prone to become sleepy and bored as we're constantly enticed to choose what is safe, to choose what is predictable, to choose what's manageable. And we end up plugging our ears to the radical invitations of God because we want to avoid the inevitable feeling of fear that precedes every single move of faith. And so we tend to shut down. We get cold. We bail out on risk and compartmentalize a relationship with Jesus into a religious box that is entirely under our control. We decide in advance who we'll relate to, who we'll hang out with, the things that we're going to do that are related to the spiritual stuff, but the rest of my life is me. We end up fighting for our preferences instead of moving with conviction against the injustices that are all around us. We tend to get bold about the protection of our rights and comforts instead of fully abandoning all that we are and all that we have for the cause of Christ. We start to die inside 
and wrongly call it peace because we don't feel very much of anything anymore. We need the message of Hebrews 11. I need the message, particularly this week. And as I've prepared to bring this word to you today, I need the message of Hebrews 11 we're going to be looking at. We need this truth of the scriptures to wake us up and to keep us in the race because there is so much at stake with this, more than we often realize. Our lives and the lives of people we love and care about that we're influencing get transformed forever when we get this right, what we're going to talk about, and move with Jesus in steps of faith. Now, the structure of Hebrews 11 makes this kind of fun. The writer begins the chapter by telling us what faith is and then just gives example after example of what this looks like in the lives of people who lived life in God. And now every weekend here at Stony Plain Alliance, we're committed to the public reading of Scripture. And most of the time, we read shorter portions of Scripture as part of our gathering and then teach out of that. Well, this weekend, however, I want to read for us, in your hearing, all of Hebrews 11, 40 verses we're going to read today, and then a couple of verses from chapter 12. Now, for those of us that haven't read the Bible before or are just discovering it, just walking into the Scriptures, there's going to be a lot of names, a lot of references that may not make very much sense as I read through, but that's okay. Allow this to serve as a way to whet your appetite and spark your curiosity about what exists in the pages of the Bible. And after reading this text, we're going to spend a few minutes looking at the consistent pattern that shows up in the lives of people who have walked by faith and how every single one points us to Jesus. So I invite you to not open a Bible. How about that? Pastor telling you to put your Bible away. Uh, it's not going to come up on the screen either. I actually want you to rest. I want you to relax. It's time to breathe. It's time to prepare yourself to hear a significantly long reading out of the scriptures today. But I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to read. And I simply want you to be tuning in to what you sense the Holy Spirit saying, pay attention to this. And we are going to soak in the scriptures together today as a church. Let me pray. Father, on behalf of this community, I confess our agitation, our fatigue, our weariness, our distraction, all of it. It's what we're bringing in today. Some bringing passion, some bringing numbness. It's all here. And yet, Jesus, as you well know, uh, felt prompted by you this week to read this scripture over the congregation this weekend. And so I say in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, congregation, be at peace. Those gathered, those watching online, peace of Christ to you. And now open your hearts, open your minds, open your ears to what Jesus wants to say to you, what he wants to say to us through the reading of his word. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though, the, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch walked, was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because as he walked, God took him away. 
For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he is as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sea, sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw he who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell, after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the, pro and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and whose, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. 
There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us that only together with us would they then be made perfect. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what would you hear there? What stood out? Was there a phrase, a person, a character that came to mind? It's like, ah, I need to pay attention there. You know, as I read in my office, I did some weird things this week, like stand in my office and read this out loud a few times. Uh, But every time I read it, I felt the inspiration of the Spirit in in my soul welling up. As I think about the history from which we live from, and those who have walked by faith before us, it's why we keep telling the stories of Scripture that keep drawing us forward into the way of Jesus. And in all of these characters and stories, you will find the same pattern repeated again and again, although imperfectly, you'll see it again and again. And the pattern goes like this. Here's the pattern of faith. God invites someone, invites us to a step of faith. We feel fear about the outcome. And so we decide at that moment to obey or not. That's it. That's the pattern of faith through the whole Bible. God initiates a conversation. God initiates a calling And then people get really afraid about what God's asking them to do. And then they navigate and manage the fear a little bit. And they pray about it and wonder about it. And then there's a decision moment when people before us and in our community today, we decide, does fear make the decision or does faith make the decision? Do I walk into the way of self-comfort or do I walk into the way of the unknown that God is actually inviting me to? So first, God invites us to a step of faith. What we see in the characters of Hebrews 11 and others in Scripture that we've been in this summer is that God invites each one to take on a challenge with him. And every time in Scripture, it's not for God, it's with God. God is up to something. God is on a mission. God's mission includes people. And so he includes people in what he's doing in the redemption of the whole cosmos. He says, listen, to all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds, he says, I'm going to choose you. And we're going to do something great because God is a God of relational partnership. And God invites people to take on a challenge with him. He says to Abraham, I know you've never left home and no one ever in your history has ever left anywhere other than where they are. But I'm going to ask you to go somewhere and I'm not even going to tell you where it is. But trust me, it's good. And by the way, I'm going to bless you with kids. And you're going to be a dis... And Abraham can't even fathom the promise. But there came a day in the invitation of God when all the fear and all the what-ifs And all the reasons for not going were piled up in a pros and cons list where he picked up his tent with his family and took one step in the new direction. 
and opened up a way of redemption that we live in today. You think about Moses and the people of Israel, 430 years in slavery. And yet God was birthing in them a promise of a, of a place, a land and a people through which those people, would be, they would bless everyone in the world and all generations to come. And God did this amazing thing. It says it in Deuteronomy 32, 11, where God's talking about the gift that he gives to the Israelites, the people he's setting free, is like when a mother eagle starts to stir up the nest for the little eaglets and the nest gets prickly. That's literally what it says. Because the only way the eagles are ever going to leave the nest and fly to greater heights is if the nest gets a little uncomfortable. And so God says, sometimes in your lives, and he says to the people of the Exodus, uh, the nest is going to get a little prickly, but don't worry. Because when you spread your wings for the first time and launch out of that nest, you will see things and experience things that is beyond your wildest imagination. And as followers of Jesus, the same things happen to us today. God invites us to face something or to do something that we would not necessarily choose for ourselves. And it's usually something counterintuitive and risky. The invitations of God are God-sized invitations that are often bigger than us. So I wonder, as we start into this year, is there a challenge that God has been stirring in your heart these days? Is it a call to serve or take on a new ministry? Is there an adventure in generosity you're supposed to walk? Is it a call to forgive or to bless an enemy? Is it to face a sin issue that's been debilitating in your life and this is the season God is asking you to trust him with your future? Well, this is the first step. That God loves us so much that he starts to stir up the nest. It's starting to feel prickly, right? Things starting to not feel as comfortable as they were. Well, God starts to stir up our comfortable little nest that we build so that we can learn to fly. That's the message of Scripture. And so that's first. God invites us to a step of faith. It begins with the initiation of God. Second, when God issues a faith challenge, we almost always, what? We feel afraid about the outcome. It's like, God, it's not so hard to trust you if you could tell me exactly in exact terms of time and place and how, how this is actually going to work out. If you could paint the picture of the outcome, I'd be a little bit more apt to follow you. But so often God says, no, in the formation of faith, I simply want you to step with me. Because it's not actually the outcome we're after, it's intimacy, and I want you to walk with me, God says. We get so attached to the outcomes, and God's like, I know you people, you can actually make the outcome an idol, and you'll start to worship where you're headed. You don't have to do that, just stay connected to me, and I'll take you where you need to go. And so fear comes rushing in when we sense God calling us to a new faith adventure. And it's the outcome that we're most afraid of. If God, if I do this, I want your guarantee that it's going to work out okay. Because if you don't come through, is usually what it is, then I'm going to crash and look foolish. I'm going to be humiliated. I'm going to be left wanting. I'm going to be embarrassed. I'll be lacking what I need. I'll be rejected. I'll be a failure. And there's this command of God in Scripture that's repeated more than any other command. Talked about this number of times on various weekends. The number one command in all of Scripture. You know what it is? Don't be afraid. Fear not. And I think God says that so often because he knows how fearful we are. This is so important for us. You know, people of faith are not people who never experience fear. They're people who experience fear and yet refuse to be held back by it. Talked a couple of weekends ago about harnessing the power of a stronger desire. And when fear is yelling and screaming about the next step, can you harness the desire? Can we harness the desire of being faithful to God 
to overcome the power of the voice of fear. And I think some of us are here this weekend. We think that the fact that we have fears means we can't really follow Jesus. Or we need to manufacture more faith. Our faith is inadequate in some way. But that's not true. Because it's actually in the place of your fears. That's the place to start. You start by asking, what am I really afraid of? That's the place to start because this is the pattern. God challenges and people fear. And God comes to us and says, you don't have to be afraid. So I figured we'd do a little confession exercise this weekend. And everyone just got really nervous. We're going to do a little confession exercise this weekend. Don't worry, it's not public, kind of. Uh, anybody who's ever experienced fear, I just want, I'm going to name a few things. Because sometimes just getting it out in the open, this is healthy. This is good for us. I'm going to run through a whole bunch of things that I'm afraid of, that I've been afraid of, and maybe you've experienced too, and just hold them in your mind as things like, and you be honest, like hold them, like, yeah, that's a thing for me, okay? Because we all need to do this. Have you ever been afraid about aging? Just hold that one in your mind. Ever had fears related to money? No, never. Ever feared that you were going to get turned down for the job that you really wanted? Have you ever been afraid that your children were going to grow up and leave home? Ever afraid that your children would grow up and not leave home? <laughs> you can go either way. It's okay. You ever been afraid of being in a, in a bad relationship that's not going to change? And you don't know if you can handle it. Ever been afraid of looking foolish? Ever afraid of looking like the fraud because you kind of feel like a fraud? You ever been afraid of failure? How about afraid of success? Because then the expectations go up. You ever been afraid of inadequacy? Afraid of rejection? Have you ever had a task that just seems too big for you and all you want to do is shrink back and not say yes? Have you ever had people looking at you and been afraid that the truth about your character is not living up to the expectations of the people around you? Have you ever just been afraid of disappointing people and letting folks down? Have you ever been afraid of disappointing God? That's just a few. So here's what I'm going to ask. In a big mass confession time, if you've had one of these or numerous of these, I just want you to do this. You don't have to raise it high. I know we're an Alliance church. We don't do this much, but you can do this. Experienced fear, raise your hand, okay? Look around, everybody. It's mass confession time, right? How many of you experienced fear but were too afraid to raise your hand and admit it? That's the last one, okay? <laughs> Looking out, there's a few, okay. See, here's part of what we need to understand about fear is that fear is an inevitable part of growth. That's why God's constantly identifying it and, causing us, and inviting us to move beyond it. Facing it, moving forward in spite of it. That's what people of faith do. If you're waiting for the fearless response, the fear, there's no fear in the response at all, it won't happen. Fear's always going to be there as a voice. And we can quiet that, we can diminish that voice, but fear's going to be part of the thing as long as we're on this side of eternity. It's our response to it that ultimately matters and what power we give to the fear and the voice of fear that's trying to dominate our lives. You know, we feel afraid when God invites us to a step of faith because in taking that step, you know what it is for me? I'm actually relinquishing control of the outcomes. And I'm actually learning to trust God's character. Hebrews 11.1 1 that we read, it talks about assurance about what we do not yet see. So you can't see God, but we have assurance because of who he is. And that's what the scriptures keep doing with us. The reason we come back week after week and talk about the character of God revealed in Christ 
is because our assurance is not based on just a future outcome. Our assurance is based in the nature and character of God himself. We trust because of who he is. We trust because he's trustworthy. We trust because he's good. And honestly, friends, I think the biggest hang-up in a lot of our discipleship lives is that we don't actually believe God is good. Well, sure, God's cosmically good, right? But every single one of us, you've been walking in faith long enough, maybe you have a story or two or ten where you don't know if God was good that time. And I'm not sure God was good there. And so we kind of suspend this cognitive dissonance where we're like, I'm sure God's good cosmically, but all of us in our hearts hold these things that maybe God wasn't good to me there. And the next time a faith challenge comes around, the stories of the past come up and we wonder again, is God actually good? And the call to a church, to a fellowship of believers like this is, can we keep pressing into the character of God and singing the songs of faithfulness and goodness Because maybe our own experiences aren't the measure of the nature and character of God. Maybe God's nature and character is the solid. And it's our experiences that are flighty. Not to diminish the experiences at all. But if we're rooting our whole relationship with God in the way of faith and just how I've perceived it. And I neglect what it means to move into the character and nature of God and how he's revealed in Jesus Christ then fear will constantly be making the decision. So Hebrews tells us, our assurance flows from our understanding of God's character and not simply by willing ourselves not to be afraid. We need more than just positive self-reflection here. We need to root ourselves, immerse ourselves in the true character and nature of God, which brings us to the last thing. God invites us. All right, here's the challenge. Fear creeps up. Fear says, don't you dare. This can't be for you. And we inevitably feel that fear, which leads us to the crossroads moment. Where as individuals, as a church, as families, we decide to obey or not. And now it's decision time. As individuals, as families, as friends, as a church, you know that there are only two ways to respond. There's only two ways to make a decision. Either fear makes the decision or faith makes the decision. And the fullness of life that we're wanting to experience really comes down to that one decision. What's the dominant voice in my decision making? Is fear getting a seat at the table far too often and faith is left on the outside looking in for another time? You know, friends, in my own story, over the last number of decades, you know, the place I end up seeing Jesus the most in unseen places is embedded right in the invitations of God to follow him into something that I'm afraid to do. And I want to give you two examples from my own life. Uh, Many of you know, um, back many years ago, uh, we sensed a call from God as a family to go and serve uh, in Southeast Asia in the country of Thailand with a little project that was going to be going on there that we were going to be giving leadership to. And so at first we exuberantly said yes. uh, But as the time approached, we had little ones at the time, and the thought of making an international move with four little ones and all these sorts of things were starting to get into my heart in particular. And there was a season of time for about the two months leading up to what was to be our departure date where I don't think I slept for two months. I was absolutely terrified about one thing. I kept having the worst nightmares about the horrible things that were going to happen to my children because we'd moved to Thailand. Like, I mean, vivid, vivid dreams, nightmares, horror stories, about things that might happen to them, and I won't get into the detail, they don't need to. 
There was this massive fear for our children. And there was other voices at the time, because there always is well-meaning people who say things like, what kind of father moves his kids to a place like that and does this kind of work? And so you hear those voices, and it just magnifies and amplifies the voice of fear. But underneath it, there was another voice. It was the voice of Jesus saying, I promise you no outcome that may fit your perspective, but I promise you my goodness, I promise you my provision, I promise you'll have me. And I mean, we ended up taking that step. I don't always, but there's a second story because it can kind of seem like, wow, you know, God calls someone to move across the world and do this work. Here's another story from just uh, last winter. It's the same kind of fear. And it goes like this. Uh, I walk out of my house and there's snow everywhere, which will be the case again soon here, folks. And I start shoving. I know, it's like, but if you say it, it'll happen later. That's the whole thing, if you just name it, right? So I start shoveling my driveway and my sidewalk. And I see my neighbor's driveway and sidewalk unshoveled. And I hear a prompting of God. Kingdom invitations can be all sizes, by the way. It can be, hey, move a family to Thailand. It can be, shovel your neighbor's sidewalk. And I came up to the edge of the sidewalk, and I'm like, but I think he really likes doing it. He's got this great snowblower, and if I shovel it, he's going to think that I think he's a bad neighbor, and then he's going to be mad at me for doing the thing that he loves to do. I probably shouldn't. And I keep just getting this prompting in my heart, would you shovel the driveway? And I'm like, no, and I'm like pacing on the sidewalk about like whether to shovel a neighbor's driveway. And it's so crazy to me. That an invitation of God can come into my life, which is like, move a family to Southeast Asia. And I'm like, okay. And it's like, shovel your neighbor's driveway. Da, 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 da. You know, God, your invitations are weird and fearful. And although in degrees, same kind of fear. Same kind of fear. Any call of God that puts us in line with the inbreaking of the kingdom will mean that fear comes up immediately and says no. So I moved the family in Thailand, all that stuff, we did that together. I didn't shovel my neighbor's sidewalk. <gasps> I know. I said it would be confession morning. I didn't. I did not. Um, and now we're going to know what a community of grace is like, right, folks? A non-judgmental community. <laughs> this is what we're learning these days. I found out later that, uh, yeah, for all sorts of reasons, I should have. There was reasons why the prompting of God was on my heart for that. You regret that stuff, right? Ask forgiveness. God quickly and fast forgives, but it sure puts in our mind what it means that it matters when God invites us to something. And that God's voice, those promptings of the Spirit, where it can be move there, do this. It can be shovel that for that person. All of it, the inbreaking of the kingdom of God and fear is always there trying to make us say no because fear is the great paralyzer. Fear is the force that is moving against God's operation of love and redemption. And think about this. When we participate with fear, when we actually get in line with the voice of fear, you know what's actually happening? We're becoming part of the obstacle against the move of God's love in the world. And he wants to partner with us. So we don't get it perfect all the time, but thanks be to God, he gives us more chances, doesn't he? And he invites again and he invites again. Fear means that I stay in a perceived control of my life that isn't true, it's a vapor. <laughs> I choose what seems safe and predictable. But when we do that, 
the outcome on choosing the way of fear because we think it's safe, you know what happens? We lose a sense of wonder. And my hunger for Jesus begins to subside. And I start to grow cold and numb. And like I said earlier, and falsely call it peace so I can feel better about my stuckness. In faith, we fall completely on the love and faithfulness of Jesus. We relinquish our attachments to outcome. The outcomes we've created to know that we've been successful and we let them all go to him. We move past an intellectual explanation of faith into a place that is raw and difficult and gritty and beautiful and mysterious and bursting with life. Messier than you can imagine, but oh, so good. And with every step we grow, with every step we experience the power and presence of Jesus, when faith gets to make the decision, a new testimony is written. A new voice joins the great cloud of witnesses when we pass on from this life to the next. And that's what our past series has been about. The reason for all these stories is not to celebrate the people of the scriptures and the stories we see there. It says it right in Hebrews 12, and you move from 11 to 12. Chapter divisions mess us up sometimes. I wish the division wasn't there. Because all of Hebrews 11 is saying, for all that these people did, Hebrews 12, so fix your eyes on Jesus. The one who began and perfected the faith that we're living into. We can look at these other examples and be so grateful for the cloud of witnesses that is all behind us, only if it points us to the greatness of Jesus. To see Jesus and the experience of this great cloud of witnesses and to see where Jesus is in our own stories is the way of faith. And in the weeks to come, as we continue to figure out who God wants us to be as a local church, can I tell you what I absolutely know will happen? There are invitations of God coming for this community, both in our lives and for our church, where fear is going to absolutely want to make the decision. But we can decide today, as a church, as a congregation, that we are going to work to silence the voice of fear. And we are going to be people of faith who fix our eyes on Jesus. And whatever he asks us to do, our measures of success will only be this. Have we been faithful to what God has called us to do? And if we can say yes to that, then everything else is all good. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.